0: and welcome to episode 17 of Artist Materialist. Today is a special episode because we don't have just an artist and a materialist. We also have an ecologist. I am Susanna, an artist and graphic designer.
1: I'm Dan, a material scientist.
2: I'm Amanda, an ecologist.
0: And today we are going to be discussing an article with an ecological bent that Dan found.
1: So this is in the Smithsonian Magazine by Rachel Gross, and it's called The Moral Cost of Cats. And it's a review and interview with a scientist who thinks that outdoor cats are a big ecological problem. And... This particularly came up because there is a special request to do an episode about cats.
0: And I'd like to add that all three of us own cats. I have one, Dan, you have two. Amanda, how many do you have right now?
2: Currently, I have three. Three, wow. Okay. Three cats. All of them are former feral cats.
0: And feral cats particularly are something that... Um, Mera, the scientist, uh, Pete Mara talks about in this article, he wrote a book called Cat Wars, The Devastating Consequences of a Cuddly Killer. And one thing that I found interesting in the article was the difference between stray cats versus feral cats. That wasn't something that I'd ever thought about before. That strays are semi-domesticated. They rely on humans for food and sometimes companionship and sort of coexist with humans. Whereas feral cats are completely on their own.
2: And I have to say, I don't see a lot of distinction between them. The distinction is legal. I think more than anything else, if you label a cat, a feral cat, uh, you can control it as a pest more than, uh, treating it as a stray cat. That is dependent on humans <laughs>
0: one of the cats agrees
2: <laughs> yes my um feral cat who was feral for longest is sitting here with me in the room and she wants her dinner but she'll have to be.
0: <laughs> so pete mara is a bird lover and he's loved birds all his life his mom is a cat lover and while he likes cats He definitely sees them as a huge environmental threat. And I have to say that after reading some of the research that he's done, I kind of have to agree with him that they, that cats have really negatively impacted bird populations.
2: But I think you were talking about your first reactions to reading this article, which is uh, what I particularly was interested in because... It 's something that i 've been hearing about and reading similar studies on for twenty years, and it 's not new i 'm glad that Mara is bringing it up in a in a louder way, but it's um the problem of cats as an invasive species and a very potent invasive species has been around for a long time, and I think now we finally know what to do to stop their impact and what I got from his article was a call to responsibility, the responsibility that we have to take for our animals as we, the invasive human species, have traveled all over the globe bringing them with us.
0: I was particularly shocked by the story of, I think the cat's name was Tibbles. Yes. Who, uh, Tibbles the cat who was on an island in New Zealand in 1894 that had never had cats on it before. And Tibbles the cat single-handedly eradicated an entire species, which is terrible.
2: And it, I think uh, there was another quote, there are 33 confirmed extinctions of species due to cats alone in, that we know of. And I think they're all on islands. Islands are vulnerable to this kind of predator that's highly adaptable and very successful.
1: I was curious. This makes um, one of the things this article made me think of, particularly the one of the solutions presented, the TNR for the trap, neuter, release program. It made, it made me think of the old Price is Right and Bob Barker, who always ended every every broadcast with "Remember to spay and neuter your pets." And I was wondering, uh, particularly Amanda, since you have experience dealing with feral and stray cats, whether that's that strikes you as that's where your mind is at or, or if that is not quite everything.
2: I, I think trap-neuter-release is, I, I'm involved with a program that does that here where I live. Uh, it's been going on for six or seven years now. And uh, for a long time, I was the only person doing it. Um, but now since last year, There's been an influx of new volunteers. It's entirely volunteer, but the volunteers get paid by the community to catch the cat. So per cat, the cost of sterilization and some medical tests is covered. Um, and then we get gas miles, but, um, I don't do that so much anymore. The new volunteers had a lot more energy and they do it faster than I was able to by myself, but it does work. It works. If you put a whole lot of effort into it, it doesn't work just by trapping them, neutering them and releasing them. You also have to remove the kittens and any adoptable cats out of the system. And that's what we've started doing this last year. Instead of just releasing them, now that we have somebody who has a home where she can take care of kittens, we take the kittens to her, she helps find homes for them. Any other cats that have been dumped that are house cats, not born into the wild, it doesn't work without that extra input because you can't ever find all the animals otherwise.
1: So it sounds like there's a foster step that's missing from the article.
2: This is something that um, has been studied in, I think there's a lot of literature about trap-neuter-release programs in the world. But since... country has its own way of organizing things, they're really, really hard to compare. The best ones that we've been able to compare to here in in Belgium are the ones where the government is involved in paying for the catch of the cats because the data are kept better. And in those studies, we know that when you get the kittens out of the system, you actually reduce the number of cats. They live out their lives, the, the feral ones, they mostly get hit by cars. And then the number of cats in the wild decreases. And when I say wild, I mean populated rural area, which is what this country mostly is.
0: Well, that correlates with what they said in the article about the University of Florida TNR study, Mm -hmm. where they were planning on just seeing how well the trap-neuter release worked, but a lot of the trapped cats ended up being adopted out, and it was extremely effective in getting rid of uh, feral cats. So it sounds like that's got to be part of any solution.
2: I would agree. (laughs) It's easier than it sounds if you have enough manpower, because cats are supremely domesticable. They are probably the easiest to domesticate species that we have on this planet. They just, they're social and up until they're 10 or even in some cases, 12 weeks old, you can take them out of the wild, raise them with people with correct training, with a knowledgeable person who knows what they're doing to socialize cats and turn them into a house cat. I think there are very few exceptions to that. A lot of cats, including my own here who we caught when she was six months old turned into a fantastic house cat. Even at that age, they're easy to domesticate. And so if you were to go to a situation where you knew you had to catch all the adult cats and eradicate the species from an Island or a sensitive ecological area with enough manpower, I really think you could do it and take the adoptable animals and find homes for them.
0: So here's a question. How, do you catch the cats? Because I'm remembering, you know, Magnolia, the stray mama cat in her parents' backyard that had kittens, and the kittens were easy to catch and adopt out. But the um, adult cat did not want to be caught, did not want to be, uh, you know, dealt with, and it was very hard to catch her and get her neutered. So how, or I guess spayed, how do you uh, how do you catch the cats
2: (laughs) we have live traps and cats being very hungry animals that need to eat constantly and they're carnivorous and they have a high metabolism um they're really easy to tempt a box with food especially cats that don't have any experience with being trapped before it's it's quite simple really the harder part is dealing with people who feed the cats enormous amounts of food, and sometimes don't want them to be sterilized. I think he talked, Amara talked in the article about the, the cost to human health is probably why he thought stopping outdoor cats would, because cats really do have a lot of diseases associated with them, and some of them are transferable to humans. All of them are transferable to our house cats, which is why it's so important to vaccinate your house cat. If there's, a feral cat population, a stray cat population nearby, those diseases spread like wildfire. And the cats that we catch are all sick, all of them.
1: So one of the the other things that I've been listening to recently is a a podcast about the medieval times. And they were just talking about the Black Death and about um, how how that spread the and the idea of, of cats being in the wild and infecting each other. That makes me think of that and how it was, you know, there's the the fleas and in particular, how the rural areas can be much harder to reach because there's probably more space f- for cats to be there and there's probably fewer people to you know, there's less money and there's less people to to do something about them. And I I wonder how that works or if there's sort of uh, a range issue where cats don't really want to be that far in the wild.
0: Well, I live in a very rural place and there are a lot of rural places near where I live. And there are certainly a lot of problems with uh, feral cats and with people just not bothering to spay them and neuter them. And just because... In some cases, it's too expensive. In other cases, they just don't feel like they need to bother because we're out in the country. It doesn't hurt anything to just have cats wandering around where there's, you know, nothing's gonna hurt them and they're not gonna hurt anything. But of course, as you can see from the research here, that's not necessarily true. Um, Our local Humane Society and some vets have have vans that go out to the most rural parts of the country, the county and offer inexpensive vet services to help reduce the population. But it really is a problem because there is that idea of the barn cat that just sort of lives out in the barn and keeps the mice down. And people out in farmland do tend to just sort of let cats wander. I have a friend who lives on an old Christmas tree farm and I was trying to avoid getting really upset with her when I was talking to her about her cats. She has a lot of animals, a lot of dogs, and her dogs are all fixed, but her cats are not. And I was wondering why, and she just felt like she didn't need to bother because she lived in the middle of nowhere. And clearly those cats are going to be, you know, killing migrating birds and Breeding, And there are no fences to keep cats from sick cats and other creatures from getting onto her property and breeding with her cats and just making a big feral cat colony.
2: That's absolutely true. And in that case, that's where you get a colony. They can go out further and further in search of food and they'll their young will survive at a higher rate. Um, So it's going to grow into a colony. If you have sparse food source, cats don't become so numerous. And I think that's pretty logical. They have to spread out to to cover the same amount of territory and get enough prey to reproduce. But in either case, they're very successful hunters and they're not only catching mice, they are catching everything else. My cat brought home a guinea pig two months ago. I mean, that's a, a four pound animal.
0: Oh my gosh, Um, are there wild guinea pigs pigs there?
2: (laughs) No, I think it was a neighbor's and unfortunately I can't figure out which neighbor owned guinea pigs I've asked. But that's the risk that we have is I keep um, my outdoor cats locked up for eight to 12 hours of 24 um, at nighttime. So they can't go foraging at nighttime. And uh, that gives the birds around here a morning time and an evening time to hang out and find their berries in our yard without being marauded by cats. And then my cats come out in the daytime. These are kittens that, um, became domesticated and they're very friendly, but they don't like being in a house. And, uh, I've luckily got them locked in my barn and they're locked in at night and they can catch the mice there, but, uh, I try to keep them away from the birds. The problem is they catch everything else that they can come across, uh, frogs guinea pigs. On the other hand, they do leave our rabbits alone. Our rabbits are the same size as that guinea pig, but the cats grew up with the rabbits since they were nine weeks old. They grew up with the rabbits and they don't touch them. They also left our chicken alone when we had a chicken. And this tells me that cats are so sociable, you can train them probably. If you want a barn cat, you could train it to not catch birds. I think there needs to be more research in that field. I think a lot of cat trainers can make a killing by training people's kittens to not catch birds.
0: You brought up one thing I've been thinking about since reading this, because my cat is also a stray that we adopted at, I don't know how old. She had been spayed, but she was anywhere from, you know, three months to a year old when we, decided to take her in. So she's a little bit wild and has never been quite as domesticated as cats that we've adopted as kittens. But now I'm wondering how much I should allow her to be outside because um, she does like to hunt. She's very old. I mean, she's 14 years old. She can't hunt as well as she used to, but she really wants to be outside. So how long should I let her be outside for? Should I let her outside anymore? I mean, I guess maybe like you said, I do keep her in at night and she doesn't spend more than a couple hours outside during the day anyway. So maybe that
2: seems pretty reasonable, especially for a cat that's lived outside most of her life. We know she's not going to be reproducing and teaching her kittens to catch things because she's spayed, but I do my best to keep my cats away from the wildlife around here and I don't do it that well. I mean, they're still really potent.
0: But Dan, your cats are both inside, correct?
1: They've spent their whole lives inside. Um, and certainly the there's one older cat and one younger cat. And the younger cat uh, is constantly, she'll pounce on everything, um, especially the shadow of her own tail on the wall. She'll attack that. But... Um, just such a, a such bad coordination that I I don't think if if there was a wounded bird in front of her she'd be more likely to pounce and hit her head on something like really just did not develop a killer instinct. Uh, then again, she didn't have any training to to do so. So I, I'm not. I think I think our cats would probably be more likely to starve than catch anything in the wild, they, they do pounce on stuff, but I, I don't know that they could, you know, they'll, they'll attack a string, but that's um, not with great success.
0: It's funny, our uh, older cats that we don't have anymore, who were exclusively indoor cats, were great at catching and killing bugs inside, while our cat we have now, who is actually the better hunter, will not kill bugs. It's very frustrating because I would like her to, (laughs) but I guess she knows that she has better options if she goes outside. She would rather stalk a squirrel, which she absolutely can't catch, than kill bugs for me.
2: On the other hand, my most deadly animal is a very large black male cat. He kills plenty of, of wildlife, unfortunately. He caught four rats in our woodshed, but he's perfectly happy to chase a string or a plume of grass all over the yard. That's just his his instinct. I don't think he would be less happy if he were not hunting. And as soon as I don't have an indoor cat anymore, I'm probably going to try to move him indoors, (laughs) maybe this winter.
0: One thing we haven't talked about, they brought up in the article, is about uh, euthanasia. Mara advocates euthanizing entire colonies of feral cats in order to reduce the population. And I admit, reading that, my initial instinct was, no, those are cats, you can't do that. And I know we have programs like that where I live because um, we have invasive wild boars. And so you know, the Department of Natural Resources is encouraging lots of people to go out and hunt as many wild boars as you want. And you know that doesn't seem as bad for one thing. Wild boars are dangerous and ugly, and they taste good when you eat them. <laughs> you can eat them, but um, when you say that with cats, it's just a whole different visceral reaction. And I was wondering what y'all thought of that.
1: It's it's tough. Uh, I certainly think of of visiting um, Rome and and. Other places around uh, around the Mediterranean, where there's just, and you know, even in a, at a restaurant, there's just a, a a whole pack of of cats, and a lot of them just look like they're not living their best life. And as Amanda was saying, you know, if they're if they're sick and and starving, that's you know, it, it, there's there's a humanitarian bent, but on the other hand, just sort of saying. It, it is tough to just say, OK, we're just going to get rid of all these these animals. It's, it's, a, it's an ecological call, it seems.
2: It, I think you're right. It is a question of where these cats have a colony. That's the question for me. And um, if it's an island with sensitive species like Hawaii, removal of all the cats is in order. And I think the best way to do that is with live traps. If you're going to euthanize those cats, or if you're going to find homes for them, or even uh, an enclosed cat compound where they can run around and live out their lives, I think those are equally valid approaches to the problem of getting all the cats off of um, an ecologically sensitive area. The question is how much funds do you have? Euthanasia is cheaper. If you have a large volunteer group that can build an enclosure for the cats and set them up somewhere with trees to climb, but they can't get out, then you could afford something like that. If the cats would be any less happy in an enclosed two acre orchard than they were on the island. A cat is happy that is well fed, warm, has play material, and can cuddle with another cat. Or a bear or human or gorilla um, depending on their upbringing.
1: Here in in the DC area there's actually a uh, cat census that is going to be ongoing and they have they've hired, I guess they're hiring at least two full-time people to do a census of all of the cats around the area just to, you know, not to try to remove them all but just know how many there are so it's uh that's another sort of the observational point of it in getting better data.
2: That's true data is a critical approach uh critical when you're talking about any kind of science you need to know what's there. Are they surveying house cats? Feral cats?
1: Uh, just cats that are out outside.
2: Uh, I think Disneyland. Uh, has done that for many years. I haven't been able to find any records of it, but I remember going there and learning about their feral cat population. And, uh, I know that there are people who keep track of it.
0: That's interesting. I did. That's such a closed. A little closed environment you don't think of mm-hmm. someplace like that as having a feral cat population but I guess it does make sense because it's cats like a college
2: campus yeah. yeah but um currently there's a huge mouse and rat population there and and of course they've moved into that plus all the trash um, well of
0: course there's a huge mouse population there
1: Mickey. <laughs> uh. <laughs> well and that that goes back to the the, the flip side of you know and having barn cats and is that as much as cats have disease, they also, you know, tend to associate mice and rats as being more dangerous to humans in terms of disease and cats keeping down those populations. There's that, that trade-off and I, I wonder how, uh, and especially in a city environment, how much of the feral cat population helps control the feral rat population.
2: I believe for rats, that uh, hawks are more effective in cities, Um, and falcons, it's the falcons, right, in New York, used to take care of the rat population in New York. You've heard about that, I think?
0: I know, I haven't heard about that. Surprised. (laughs) In New
2: York, there are peregrine falcons that that moved back into the canyons of the city that were feeding on the rat population, and... The city did some things, and I'm not sure what to encourage them to keep nesting there. A cat is nearly the size of a rat in an urban environment. Cats tend to be smaller. We have seen in Belgium an evolution of cats to be larger. Uh, So the opposite trend, they're getting bigger than the rats, and that's because they're taking over the niches vacated by more sensitive and hunted away by human predators in europe the close cousin and the same species really just did. and that was like a large it is still it still exists but it's mostly not here anymore in this part of europe a large house cat look but it, it differently. it's more solitary uh, and it interbreeds with the house cat so our feral cat population here is getting bigger to take over the prey that that predator isn't getting anymore, and foxes and large birds of prey. So you're thinking like rabbits and that prey is what the feral cats here, they're evolving to catch those larger prey items now. But I don't think in New York that they have that same trend.
0: Well, I know that here we still have a lot of the large predators, the foxes, and the um, the raptors that are catching all of the smaller prey, so I guess it makes sense that our cats wouldn't necessarily be getting larger, although it seems like there are plenty of really large house cats, but that might just be because they are living inside and getting lots of food.
2: Oh, and there are large breeds that People like to keep to main Coons, et etc. I wanted to um, ask you guys more about the the disease aspect of it actually the um, which diseases are actually a problem in your opinion for for cats from my perspective it's the diseases that cats can give to one another that are a bigger problem, but in this article um, we were talking about the human transferable diseases, the toxoplasmosa. And are there other diseases that people talk about? You know, people don't want to change their cat's litter boxes when they're pregnant because of the risks of toxoplasmosis, but actually it can affect you at any time of your life. Not just if you're a fetus, etc. Are there other diseases that people talk about rabies or anything like that, that you know of?
1: I don't think so. I think it's just toxoplasmosa, which gets a lot of play because it's it's scientifically interesting. And so there's lots of research on it. I think that's about it.
2: Is rabies still a concern where you guys live? It's been eradicated from this particular country, so our cats don't need rabies vaccinations anymore. But I know in California they did.
1: It's
0: definitely a concern where I live, um, if people get bit by stray dogs, or there are wild raccoons out here, a lot of wild raccoons. So rabies is absolutely a concern and um, all our pets have to get their annual vaccines.
2: Right, so any feral cat population is also, could be one of the primary vectors for spreading rabies in a community where you have raccoons, for example, too.
1: I I think that, I think, I mean, personally, what I would be most concerned about is really um, anything that's flea or tick-borne, so it's not, I mean, the cats would just be carriers, but it'd really be the fleas and ticks.
2: Yeah.
0: I agree. We had one summer here a few years back where (laughs) it was just an explosion of the flea population everywhere, and... Let me tell you, I do not ever want to live through that again. It was horrible. Everything we did, I mean, we just could not get rid of the fleas. Flea bombing, flea sprays and vacuuming and spraying everything and putting stuff on the pets and it just, it was just a bad year for fleas and, you know, it it was awful because just, you know, I felt like I was living, you know, a hundred years ago, (laughs) getting flea bites in my own house. And of course, like you said, those carry diseases. The ticks are really bad about carrying diseases. And so I think it's just as important to, you know, give your cats flea and tick prevention as it is to spay and neuter them, in my opinion, to prevent disease spread.
2: I'm glad you brought that up. That's absolutely one of the worst parts about having any kind of pet is is their parasites.
0: Well, this has been a very interesting discussion about stray cats and ecology and their effect on it. Uh, I wanna thank Amanda for joining us this morning.
2: It's it's evening for me, so (laughs)
0: thank you
2: for being patient and waiting for my connection.
0: (laughs) Thanks for listening. Please check out our blog at at artistmaterialist.wordpress.com. Please like and comment and rate, review, and share the podcast.